But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 Welcome to Canaanbaum Podcast, a podcast designed to offer the Christian rest during life's journey. This podcast features devotional segments shared by those who support the teaching of the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod, the Wells, along with music, church history, and other items. My name is Tom Barthel. Glad to be serving as your host for this episode. This is episode number 124. As we reflect on the 500th anniversary of the Lutheran Reformation, we also now look at God's Word in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, shared by Pastor Mark Falk. 1 Peter 2, verse 9, a royal priesthood. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. NIV, 1984. Where do we start? Peter is writing to Christians, some Jew, many Gentile, scattered in the world. They are a people, like the American people, a nation, like the USA, and yet this people and nation is not defined by geography. It is defined by God's choosing and God's election. Every one of them and all Christians today are the result of God's eternal choice. These, exactly these, will be mine. The Old Testament people of God could be identified by their race and nationality. They were the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, although the true Israel was always those few who believed in the promise of the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. But enough of that for today. The phrase that deserves our utmost attention is this, a royal priesthood. Once the temple was no longer needed, for the sacrifice of Jesus had made its worship obsolete, there was no longer a need for the intercession of the Old Testament priesthood. That truth stands uh, to this day. Peter and the apostles were not priests, while all other believers were second-class citizens. They were all priests. This is the doctrine that shocked the world of Luther. The good monk was not against preachers and pastors. But he wanted every Christian to grasp, to lay hold of, uh, to own his or her status as a king and priest before God. Revelation repeats this theme. Every believer in Jesus is included in the priesthood of all believers. This is a key doctrine of Peter and of the Lutheran Reformation. As one old pastor said to me, Our soldiers on the battlefield do not need a pastor in their pocket. The called ministry is still a great gift. It ought to be more highly honored than it is. But when a few Christians gather in a hut or foxhole and agree in faith and doctrine, they may function as priests just as well as any called pastor. They may call one of their own, a man, if men are present, to distribute communion. And every priest of the New Testament, man, woman, or child, may, and indeed should, Declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. 
whenever the opportunity in home or neighborhood arises. A small child may absolve her father. Jesus loves you. Jesus forgives you in his own blood. A wife may comfort her distraught husband. Honey, God has taken away this sin. A father may speak to son or daughter. We are all priests in Christ, kingly priests. It is uh, as if this kingdom, it is as this kingdom of priests who possess the keys to the kingdom of God that we call and appoint one among us, a pastor, to act in God's name and in ours. He has spiritual authority, but he receives it from God and the other priests who have appointed him. A royal priesthood. Chew on this one for a bit. Both of our songs in this segment come from the artist Koine, and both are written with words by Martin Luther. This first one is A Mighty Fortress is Our God. This comes from their new album, Cross Heart, Rose Sky Ring.
God's Word for you, Job 39, verses 13 to 18. We're going to begin with a description of an ostrich. And the description of the ostrich is unique among God's questions for Job. See if you can figure out why when you hear this one verse, or actually several verses. I think I'll read them all, then I'll go back and comment. The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully, though they cannot compare with the wings and feathers of the stork. She lays her eggs on the ground and lets them warm in the sand, unmindful that a foot may crush them, that some wild animal may trample them. She treats her young harshly, as if they were not even hers. She cares not for that her labor was in vain, for God did not endow her with wisdom or give her a share of good sense. Yet, when she spreads her feathers to run, she laughs at horse and rider. Did you catch the difference? This is unique among Job's questions for uh, God's questions for Job because God doesn't have a question for Job. There is no question here. Until recently, um, uh, 1966, I think, the Arabian ostrich was found everywhere from Damascus to the Arabian Peninsula and as far east as Iraq. And today it's extinct. We don't know whether God is referring to ostriches in general or to the Arabian ostrich in this passage, although it's what would have been found in Job's uh, area. The comparison with the wings and the feathers of the stork shows us that although the ostrich was the largest bird known in Bible times, some islands had uh, in the Pacific had bigger birds than that, but they're and they're now extinct, but they wouldn't have known about them in Bible times. The stork, though, has more impressive plumage and wings. In fact, the marabou stork of Africa has the largest wingspan of any bird in the world, except for the condor. Now, listen again to the actions of the ostrich and its appearance. She lays her eggs on the ground, lets them warm in the sand, unmindful that a foot may crush them. She treats her young harshly as if they weren't hers. She cares not that her labor was in vain, for God did not endow her with wisdom or give her a share of good sense. These actions of the ostrich, together with its odd appearance, almost make it a laughable part of God's creation. What kind of bird doesn't make a nest? What kind of parent would leave its eggs lying exposed on the ground? These things make the ostrich seem harsh. Notice that God doesn't mention anything about the ostrich burying its head in the sand. That's because it doesn't. That's a fable based on a misunderstanding of something written actually by a Roman admiral named Pliny, Pliny the Elder. He lived um, um, up until 79 AD. I think he died in the eruption of Mount Vesuvius. Um, but Pliny said about the ostrich, they are the most foolish above all the rest, for as high as the rest of their body is, yet if they thrust their head and neck into a shrub or bush to hide, they think that they are safe enough and that no one sees them. That's from Pliny's Natural History, Book 10. The ostrich seems to be a bird without common sense, without any redeeming qualities. But God points out, when she spreads her feathers to run, she laughs at horse and rider. The feathers of the ostrich might be useless for flying, but even a horse can't outrun this remarkable bird. It might appear to be witless and foolish, but God made it and gave it the gifts it needs to survive and to thrive. We may not always understand the gifts God has given us, but he has given us what we need to come to faith in him to hold on to that faith and to survive and to thrive in everlasting life. In Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's Word for you. To Tell the Story is shared by Pastor Luke Italiano. This is based off of John 1, 
verses 43 to 51. Philip dashed through the vineyard, his feet sending up little puffs of dust as he ran, as he searched, there, under the fig tree. He ran up, skidded to a stop. Nathaniel, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel looked up at his friend. Nazareth? <laughs> yeah, Nathaniel was not impressed. He knew the scriptures, he knew them well. Nazareth wasn't mentioned once. Bethlehem? Now, that was another matter. But Nazareth? Ha! Can anything good come from there? Come! Come and see! Philip answered. He grabbed Nathaniel's hand and pulled him to his feet, dragged him through the vineyard toward the Jordan River. And Nathaniel followed. Philip thought he'd found Messiah, but Nathaniel knew the scriptures better. He knew what Messiah was. Nathaniel was a true Israelite. He knew the scriptures were just one story that told the people they needed someone to save them. One story of the Lord promising to send someone to rescue them from their sins. Promising to send Messiah. Oh, there was nothing false in Nathaniel. He knew he needed all those sacrifices in the temple. He knew that he wasn't good enough, that he needed someone to rescue him. He desperately looked forward to Messiah and trusted that God would send him. But Philip? If he was convinced that someone from Nazareth was Messiah, he was clearly wrong. Whoever Philip found? No, he couldn't really be Messiah. Philip dragged him to the side of the Jordan River where a dusty man sat. And as they approached, the man stood and smiled and greeted Nathanael. Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And the pieces fell into place. Philip claimed this was Messiah. Jesus had obviously just read his heart, thinking about how Nathanael was a true Israelite in whom there was nothing false, and now he even said where he'd been sitting before? The only way this made sense is if he was Messiah. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi! You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus said, You believe, because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And Nathanael was shocked. He had just witnessed a miracle, and El Messiah told him that he would see even greater things. He would see Messiah bridge heaven and earth. And that would be the greatest thing of all. Brothers and sisters, 
There are many amazing things in the Bible. The fact that Jesus chooses us, sinners that we are. The fact that he's provided so many miracles to attest that he is God. But the most amazing thing is Jesus bridging heaven and earth. The most amazing thing is the cross. As Jesus reveals himself, keep in mind that all of that serves to point to the cross. This story is true. We'll close this episode with another song by the new album by Koine. This album features songs that are all with words by Martin Luther. This final song we'll be sharing is We Now Implore God, the Holy Ghost.
You have been listening to Kanenbaum Podcast, episode number 124. This episode was first shared in October of 2017. For more information, visit kanenbaumpodcast.com. We'd like to thank Koine for allowing us to feature their music. The music from this segment in this episode came from their new album. You can find more information at koinemusic.com. We encourage you to find a Wells ministry location nearest you. Visit wells.net. Thanks for joining us. And remember his promised rest. 